started our study last week. We looked at the first 14 verses. Today we'll look at the rest of chapter 1 starting from verse uh, 15. So let's read from Ephesians 1 verse 15 to 23. 15 to 23. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, we thank you for your love and mercies. We thank you, Lord, for this word that you've brought to us this morning. We pray, O Lord, that uh, as we study it, we pray, Lord, that you will prepare our hearts and minds. I pray that you will give me the words to communicate the, the thoughts that you have for each one here, Lord. We pray that you will prepare us to receive your word and to have it change us, Father. We ask in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So last, last time when I spoke, we looked, about, looked at the first part of Ephesians and did a little bit of introduction. And we noted there that the, the book to the Ephesians, the epistle to the Ephesians was written to believers who did not have a complete understanding of the spiritual resources Uh, that is at their disposal and so they were not taking advantage of them Uh, and this put them in danger of spiritual malnutrition and Paul begins in chapter 1 by reminding them of all the spiritual blessings that they enjoy in Christ and I'll revise those in a minute here uh, as we go go forward Uh, but in this passage what he does after taking the first part of the the chapter 1 the first 14 verses to remind them of the the, uh, the immense, boundless spiritual blessings that they have, he offers a prayer on their behalf, a prayer that they would be, that they would fully understand all of the resources and all of the power that they have in Christ. And that their understanding, that this understanding, this proper understanding of all that they have in Christ would then lead them to a more fulfilling Christian walk with the Lord. And the ultimate goal of Ephesians is to push believers towards, uh, towards more godly living. So we'll see that when we get into uh, chapters 5 and 6 that Paul turns the, 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 the nature of the writing there to become very practical. But first of all, he uses the first four chapters to lay the foundation. Because uh, it is very important for us to realize that our practice has always got to have as a foundation the truth of the doctrine. Okay, it's got to be built on top of the doctrines of the word of God. And that's why understanding doctrine, understanding the teaching is important. And then that in an, uh, then proceeds to produce the kind of action 
Okay, doctrine without action uh, is, is no good. And action that is not based on doctrine is also no good in our Christian walk. So in the first four chapters, Paul spent some time, a lot of time in fact, laying the foundation. Chapter 1, as I said, he explains the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, which we'll look at next time, he talks about the transformation that is brought about in our life by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, he explains the mystery of the church. Mystery means something that was hidden in the past and now has been revealed to us. In chapter 4, he uh, talks about the use of spiritual gifts and how they should be used to build up the church. And, and, and then he talks about the regenerated nature of the believer, the new man, and how that should impact our lives. And then chapter 5 and 6, as I said, provides practical instruction into how these truths must manifest themselves in our life. So as I said, this passage that we're looking at today is actually a prayer. Okay, and Paul has, has some beautiful prayers. Um, in the book of Philippians, he has another one. And it's really instructive to study these prayers from many different angles. First of all, what is he praying for? But just looking at the things that he prays for and the pattern he prays for, we can learn something about the proper way of praying. You know, when we pray, what should be the content of our prayer? What should we pray for? You know, we know that when we pray very often, I look at my own prayers, it becomes sort of... Uh, a series of asking God for a whole lot of things. Okay, a whole lot of things have to do with myself uh, or my physical needs or the physical needs of others or, or whatever. But here, when we look at the prayers of Paul, uh, we see a completely different way, a completely different method, a completely different goal and objective to the whole matter of praying. So in terms of how we want to apply this, I want you to think about these two or three things as we go through the exposition here. First of all, what can you learn about the proper way of praying from the example of Paul? Secondly, that Paul's prayer uh, was specifically for the Ephesian believers, but it can also apply to us. And we need to also have a proper perspective, a proper understanding of the spiritual resources and the blessings that God has given us. So we can pray this for ourselves. Thirdly, by studying this prayer and focusing on what Paul is praying for, uh, we can learn much about our true spiritual condition. Okay, we can learn much about our spiritual maturity, our standing, our understanding, the, the extent to which our actions are driven by the word of God. Uh, we can get a better understanding of our resources in Christ and that can then push us, spur us on towards more godly living. So those are the three things I want you to keep in mind as we go through this prayer. And we look at it verse by verse, section by section, in three or four parts here as we go through it. First of all, I want to look at three key characteristics of the prayer. Okay, and we see that in verse 15 through 17. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Okay, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. Okay, we'll stop there. So I want to look at those first two and a half or so verses there. And we see here three things, three characteristics of the prayer that Paul offers. First of all, the basis for his prayer. Okay, what is the basis for the prayer? So he starts off there, he says, therefore, okay, therefore, or some translations have it as for this reason. Okay, and anytime there's a therefore, it means that he's referring back to what he talked about in the immediately prior uh, section of, of scripture. So 
Basically, he's referring back to what he talked about in the first 14 verses, okay? And specifically in, in, uh, in Ephesians 1 and verse 14, he talks about the marvelous inheritance, the guaranteed inheritance we have in, in Christ Jesus and how it is sealed by the Holy Spirit, okay? And he talks in verse 14 also about the redemption, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So there is a time coming when we will be redeemed, Okay, our flesh will be redeemed. We will be given a glorified body and we will be redeemed. We will be saved from the very presence of sin. Okay, and he says for this reason, okay, because of these blessings that you have on this basis, I am praying for you. Okay, so that was one of the basis for prayer. The second basis uh, also, you know, he, he's, when he says therefore, uh, he's referring back to all of the things in the first 13 or 14 verses, okay? So let's, ref- let's just revise that. I'll just list them real quickly. It, ref- it refers back to all of the spiritual blessings that I talked about last time. What are those spiritual blessings? In verse 4, we see that one spiritual blessing is that God has chosen us in Christ Jesus before the creation of the world, okay? We were chosen in Christ to be redeemed, to become the children of God. Secondly, God loved us in Christ. Again, verse 4. Thirdly, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, as his children. Uh, Fourthly, God has freely given us his saving grace. Five, he has redeemed or forgiven us from our sins in Christ. Six, he has revealed his will to us in Christ. Uh, Seven, he has made us heirs in Christ to the praise and glory of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, 12. Uh, Eighth, he has included us in Christ. Nine, he has marked us with a seal in Christ. That seal is the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us in our salvation. We cannot be snatched away. Our salvation is, is uh, eternal. Okay, it is secure. And then finally, tenth, the tenth blessing that we see in the first 14 verses is that he has guaranteed our inheritance by giving us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, the earnest. Okay, he is a guarantee that we will inherit uh, the, the inheritance that God Uh, has for us. So our prayers ought to be based on the fact that we have been redeemed, that we are the children of God. That is the ultimate basis for why is it that we can even come to God and pray to him? This is a privilege. Okay, it is a privilege. It is because God has given us all of these spiritual blessings. And really, if you don't come and pray to God, it is a sign that you are not appreciative or maybe you don't understand the blessings that God has for you. Prayer is an important part of the growth of a Christian. It is important to commune with God. You know, we see these prayers and how much uh, uh, emphasis Paul puts on them and the depth of his prayer. That's what we look at here, the very depth of it. So that is the basis for the prayer. What is the basis for the prayer? Okay, it is that we have been saved and we have been blessed and we have been given all of these spiritual blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to always remind ourselves, okay, of who we are in Christ. Always remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Then secondly, the second characteristic of the prayer is who is the recipient of the prayer. Okay, so he says in verse uh, 17, first part, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now this is important. Okay, the, the, the person in the Trinity that we pray to is God the Father. Okay, and we may think this is not such a big deal, but in all of scripture we see that prayers go to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and the Holy Spirit also has a role to play. In Romans, we see that the Holy Spirit takes what we say and what does he do? Huh? He? What does he do, John? 
in Romans chapter, who can tell me? Huh? He, he sort of does a translation of it, okay? So if there's anything, things that are not right in your prayer, he makes it right and, and he puts it into utterances that, that we don't understand, that only, uh, you know, is understood in heaven, right? So the Holy Spirit has a role, the Son, we do it through the Son because it is through the Son that we have access, but our prayers should be to God the Father, okay? And it's very important we understand this. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, Okay, NASB as it is, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Okay, we need to give God the, the place, his due. So, the designation of God which links him to Christ, the Son, in terms of nature. Okay, the Father and the Son are one, but the one we pray to is God the Father. So, second characteristic of the prayer is the recipient of the prayer, and that is God the Father. Thirdly, we see broadly what are the subjects of his prayer, the topics that he prays for. Okay, and there's two broad topics that he prays for here okay first of all he gives thanks okay he gives thanks for the ephesians and then he makes petition for them so there's two parts to his prayer one is thanksgiving and the second is petition okay now very often when we pray i know when i pray it immediately becomes only petition okay and very little time do we spend in prayer actually thanking god for the things we ought to thank him for okay so our prayers should really consist of both petition as well as thanksgiving. Okay, and typically thanksgiving should come first. We've got so many things to be thankful for. You know, the word of God tells us that in everything we are to give thanks. One of the ways we give thanks is by thanking God in our prayers. So there's two, two subjects or two broad topics in the prayer. Okay, one is the thanksgiving and the other is petition. And we're going to look at both of these in parts here. So first I want to look at the, the, the praise and the thanksgiving that Paul gives here in verse, um, uh, second part of verse 15, um, he, uh, uh, he thanks, uh, second part of verse 15 and, and verse 16. Okay, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Okay, so he's telling the believers, therefore, because I know who you are, because I know who you are in Christ on the basis of the fact that you are redeemed children of God, chosen ones who have the inheritance, the guaranteed inheritance. On the basis of that, he says what? Uh, after I heard, okay, based on what Paul had heard about the believers, okay, the nature of the thanksgiving is that it was based on what he had heard about the believers. He heard a good report about these believers, the Ephesian believers. And what did he hear? He says... And his response to the report that he received was to praise and thank God from the moment. He says, ever since, okay, after I heard, okay, I think it's the NIV, it says, ever since I heard, from the moment I heard about this good, I heard this good report about you, uh, I have been giving thanks to God from the moment that I heard it. So let's ask ourselves, what is our response uh, when we hear good things? about other believers what is our response when we hear bad things about other believers do we go to God immediately or do we start doing other things you know sometimes we start gossiping about it you know do you thank God for every believer in this church you know when they when they do something good for you in, in your life when they do something good in the church when they bless somebody when they bless you do we have a habit of making Thank, giving thanks to God for, for them. 
Paul says, the moment I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. So that's the second aspect. Second nature of his thanksgiving is that it was unceasing. Okay, NIV says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Okay, it is continuous. Ephesians 5.20 says, give thanks for everything. Okay, and to pray without ceasing. So it should be a constant. Now this does not mean that every moment of every second of every day we pray. But the point is that that prayer and thanksgiving should be a constant characteristic of our life. Okay, it was in the case of Paul. And he could say, this is the word of God, so you know that it's true. You know, he didn't just say this to please the believers. He says, I do not cease. Soon as I heard the good report about you, and we look in a minute at what it was that he heard about them, but I do not cease to give thanks, ceaselessly, unceasingly giving thanks for the fellow believers because of who they are, giving thanks that they have been redeemed, giving thanks for the, the, good, the good report that he heard about them. Do we give thanks for our fellow believers? You know, when we do that, if we do that, I think we will grow in our love for each other as well. So his nature of his thanksgiving was that it was based on what he had heard, based on the report, and secondly, that it was without ceasing. It was unceasing. It was constant. Okay, now let's look at the two reasons he gives for why, the reasons for why he was praising and thanking God for these believers, the Ephesian believers. First of all, for their faith in the Lord Jesus. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, you know, it refers to the fact that they were truly saved, that they had true saving faith that they had, these Ephesian believers had. And it indicated the genuineness of their salvation. Paul heard about their faith. He heard about their genuine faith in the Lord. And the object of their faith was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for that, Paul gives thanks. You know, the only reason that we have to thank and praise God for is our salvation. Ultimately, everything comes back to that. You know, we need to thank God every day that we are saved. You know, we just remembered this morning. You know, we are not worthy and yet he chose us. And when did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. Before we were ever born. Before we came into existence. He looked out into history. And he chose us in him. And he gave us his inheritance. And he redeemed us. And he sent his son to die for us. For what should we give praise and thanksgiving? For our own salvation and for the, the salvation of other believers. And secondly, the good report he received was also of their love for the saints. The Ephesian believers had a genuine love for all the saints. You know, another mark of a true believer. You know, in Philippians 2, let's just look at a couple of verses. Philippians 2, verse uh, 1 and 2. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. What same love? The love that the Lord Jesus had for the redeemed in suffering for them, in dying for them. Have the same love for each other, being of one accord, being of one mind. First John chapter 3. First John and chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Strong words, isn't it? About love for our fellow brethren. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We show our love to the saints by meeting their needs. Are you in the habit of showing your love practically by meeting the needs? Do you even understand the needs of your fellow believers? Are you open to meeting their needs, whatever those needs might be? Paul here thanks God. You know, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, he thanks God for the, because he heard of the love of the Ephesians believers for who? For all the saints. For all the saints. Not just the saints they like, not just the saints that, that, were, that were part of their clique, not just the, the saints that they preferred. Do you have a love for every saint that is part of this fellowship? Ask yourself that question. And here is what this church was known for. They were known for their faith and for their love for all the saints. Yes, they had a lot of problems. But this was something that Paul could find in them that was commendable. And he picked out what was commendable in their actions, in their behavior. And he thanked God and he praised him for that. What would our church be known for? If Paul was writing to us, what would he say that I want to give thanks to God for this church for? Let's ask ourselves that question. So we see here that this was the, uh, the, the nature or the reason for praise and thanksgiving. For their faith in the Lord Jesus and for their love for all the saints. And then he goes on to make some petitions. And there are two specific petitions which we're going to look at. And then we look at a little bit more detail at what the goals that Paul had for this prayer. And the change that he wanted to see in their lives. So that we see in verse 17 through 23. So just look at verse 17. And, and here's, here are his petitions. Okay, uh, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Okay, let's stop right there. So this is a, a mouthful. It seems very complicated, but let's just try to break it down. Okay, so we see here that he has basically, we can break it down to two things, two petitions that Paul has for these believers. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm, first of all, I want you to know that I'm giving thanks for you. And I'm praising God for you because I heard about your faith and I heard about your love for the believers and I commend you for that and I thank God for that because all of that comes from God. Okay, ultimately, everything good in us comes from God and so we thank God. We don't give credit to ourselves. We thank God for that. But now I want to, in my prayers, I'm asking God for these things for you. First of all, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul is praying that God would give them greater wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God. Okay, so the spirit, what is the spirit of wisdom? So the word <coughs> spirit that's used here is, is pneuma. Okay, the word pneuma which speaks of a disposition. All right, it's not, it's not speaking of the Holy Spirit. It's speaking of the a, a, a sense of um, influence or attitude. Okay, it's like when we talk about getting in the spirit. You know, people talk about maybe not here as much, but in the West they talk about when you get to the end of the year that that you know the Christmas spirit, getting into the spirit of Christmas. Okay, letting the sort of thoughts of these things influence your mind and 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 sort of get into it. 
you know, and the spirit of a lot of things that we get into, right? Things that we enjoy. And that's what he means here. He speaks of a disposition or an attitude, okay? That I want you to have this disposition, okay? The spirit of wisdom, okay? The uh, wisdom speaks there of the fullness of godly knowledge and understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He says, I want God to give you a spirit of wisdom. Okay, I want you to be wiser about something which we'll see in a minute here. Okay, I want you to be wiser and then I want you to have the God to give you the spirit of revelation. Okay, I want God to reveal something to you. Okay, I want God to impart some knowledge to you, to you Ephesian believers. So what is it that he's, he's petitioning God for? He's petitioning that, uh, that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, that their mind would be filled with wisdom and, and revelation of something. And what is that something? The knowledge of him. Okay, the knowledge of God. The NIV says, so that you may know him better. Okay, he wants God to give them a spirit of wisdom and reveal some things about God, the knowledge, so that the knowledge of God would increase. Now let me ask this, have you ever prayed that for yourself? Have you ever prayed that you would know God better? That you would really know and understand who God is? Because ultimately, you know, if you don't know who God is, you know, there will be no lasting impact on the way you live. You know, if you try to fix what you're doing, okay, the reason we do a lot of wrong things or don't do the right things in our life, you know, by trying to fix those and make ourselves change, you know, you're just fixing the symptoms. The real problem is that we don't really know who God is. That our knowledge of Him is limited and we need to pray that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and He would reveal to us through His Word, through the study of His Word, who he really is. He was praying that God, Paul was praying that God would reveal himself to the Ephesian believers in a special way. Why? So that they would have a greater understanding of God and of all the power and the resources and the, uh, the privileges that they possess in Christ. Now notice here that Paul, uh, the implication here is that he wanted them, that he wanted them to receive a certain knowledge and wisdom. Okay? Because uh, they already had everything they needed. He did not ask that God give them any more spiritual resources. Okay? We'll look at that in a minute here. You know, they did not need to engage in a quest for something extra. They have everything they need, but the problem is that because of their lack of understanding of God, they're not appropriating it. They're not making it real in their life. Okay? So we do not need to, when we pray, we need to be careful what we pray for. Okay? Don't pray for things that you already have. All right? You listen to some of our prayers. It's quite instructive. Okay? Uh, you know, we pray for things like, uh, you know, uh, we pray for light, that God would give us light. But he's already given us abundant light through his word. Problem is not that we don't have light, it's that we don't follow the light. Right? We don't respond to the light. You know, we pray for strength, but what does God tell us? Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He has already given you the strength. We pray for more love, but God has said in Romans 5, 5 that His love is poured out within our hearts. We pray for more grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, 
that his grace that he has given us is sufficient for us. You know, I, I really, uh, sometimes we pray and some, some of these, you know, I, I don't want to fault us. I think we all mean well when we pray. But one thing we often pray for and uh, I do the same thing is when we're praying for somebody, something we say, Lord, please be with him. Does that make sense? Does it make sense to pray that God would be with a believer? Why not? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? So I think it's important that, that we think about what we pray because prayer shouldn't just become a rote thing, you know, just sort of saying a few words. Okay? We don't need to pray for the things that God has already given us. You know, we don't, we don't, we need, we don't need to pray for the... Uh, we, what we need to pray for is the ability, the wisdom, the ability to obey, to appropriate and use what God has already given us. Paul was praying that God would give these Ephesian believers a disposition towards having a greater understanding of God. That they would understand what they already have, what God has already given them, so that they can apply it and use it by virtue of what is already theirs because they are saved children of God. And this can only happen by the working of the Holy Spirit. So why did Paul seek this greater knowledge of God for the Ephesians? Why does he say that I'm praying that God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? It's because when you know and you understand the character of God, it causes, you, uh, causes more of his character to be reflected in you. The reason that we don't or we find it difficult to love some people is because we don't fully understand and appreciate that God is love. The reason that we have sin in our lives is because we don't fully understand and appreciate that God is a holy God and he hates sin. If we understood how much God hates sin, right, we would make sure that we are not sinning in our lives. We would, we would confess our sins and seek forgiveness and, and repent of them and turn from them. The reason that we don't spend enough time praising God is because we don't fully understand God. Knowing and understanding the God that we serve is what leads to holy living. Ultimately, it comes back to this is the core. You know, Paul is asking because he knows that if this prayer is effective and these believers have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that all these other problems they're having will get solved. Knowing and understanding God gives us more awareness of our spiritual blessings in Him. And it will result in practical application of these blessings in our life. We will act like chosen ones. We will act like those who have an inheritance. We will act like those who have been redeemed as opposed to the unredeemed. So this is what Paul is making his petition for. That God would enlighten them. That he would give them the spirit of wisdom and he would reveal and increase their understanding and their knowledge of him. The very character, the nature of who God is. Do we know who God is? Do we really understand who God is? You know, as you read through the, the Old Testament, you know, do you just read it as a story? Or are you looking to see, what am I learning from this about God? You know, what is it telling me about what God, uh, the way God thinks? What is it telling me about what pleases God and what doesn't please God? You look at the way God dealt with Israel, it is so instructive. That is all written for us. Hebrews, he tells us, he, all those things God did for us. You know, he punished the children of Israel for us so that we might learn from it. 
The second thing, the second petition he makes is in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart, some translations say, being enlightened. Okay, that God would enlighten their, the eyes of their heart. Okay, so in ancient cultures, the heart was considered to be the center of knowledge. So Paul is praying that they may have their minds enlightened and guided by the understanding and knowledge of the truth, not by feelings and emotions, okay? Feelings and emotions have their place, but today we, we, we see in, in Christendom that, that there is a, a greater emphasis on feelings and emotions. You know, you look through scripture, you see so many warnings against us because our feelings and emotions can, can really trick us. They can make us feel good when there's no basis to them, okay? Living the Christian life has to be with our mind. It has to be intellectual. It has to be through understanding of who God is. It has to be through understanding of scripture. So he wants the eyes of their understanding, the eyes of their, of their heart, of their mind to be enlightened. Okay, so he prays that God, two petitions, that, that God would give to them a spirit of wisdom. Okay, that they would really uh, 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 yearn, seek after the wisdom and revelation uh, of the knowledge of God and that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would learn something through this. Now, what are the specifics or the goals that, that Paul has? And there are four things we look at here. Okay, four, four goals. These are, this is what Paul envisions happening, you know, as he prays this prayer. This is what he, he wants to, to, to be the result in their lives. Okay, so we look at each of these. First of all, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Okay, that you may know what is the hope of, of his calling. You may understand and know the hope of God's calling. Now Paul prays that their minds may be enlightened to understand God's plan of redemption that he laid out in verse 1 through 14. The truths, all the truths are about election and predestination, adoption and forgiveness and inheritance and sealing, all of these things. Okay, and that they would have this understanding of what their new identity as children of God really means. That they would really understand that they are the chosen ones of God. Chosen before they even existed. And only if they really know, if they know who they really are, only then can they and we live like who we really are. You know, the Christian life is all about matching our practice to our position. Okay? That's what the Christian life is about. Sanctification. Positionally, we are holy. God declares us holy. He declares us righteous. He declares us pure. He declares us blameless. And all of those good things. But positionally, positionally, that's where we are. Practically, we are somewhere over here. The Christian life is the process of getting up to who we really are before God in this life. We might never attain up to that point till we are in glory. But what God expects is that we progress on that path. The hope of his calling, what is that? That is the eternal destiny and the glory of the believer. The promise that one day every believer will be conformed to the image of his son. That is the hope of our calling. Now why is this, why is this important? Because God has called us to a certain way of life. You know, if we don't understand our calling uh, and, and that this calling is sure and that, that there is a hope that's associated with this calling, 
and that hope is not in his life it is it is in another life then it's easy for us to fall away and to lose sight of that and to not mature as a christian now how is this hope impacting our lives today why you know if you don't have the hope of your calling then you won't be motivated to do the things that you need to do for spiritual growth you may you won't be motivated to seek after the things of god he has called us to a certain way of life you know paul says that that you walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called do we really understand paul is praying here that they would know what is the hope of his calling why do we why do we and you know our you know our our calling is very different than most other you know there are a lot of religious people especially in this culture you know and they do a lot of things but a lot of what they do is to get a blessing in this life you know people go and pray and they offer uh, and they they give um, uh, you know money and all kinds of things so that so that their kids would do will do will do well in college they pray to the goddess of education they pray to the goddess of wealth right so that they will get all these things we are called to do a lot of things in this life where you may never see the result in this life so what is it that will motivate you to still keep doing it why what will motivate us to go through suffering in this life it is because we know that we have a hope and that hope is sure and that hope is eternal it is not worldly and that is why paul prays that they would that their understanding would be enlightened and they would know what is the hope of his calling do you know what is hope is that hope that you have is it real for you how is it impacting what is the purpose of your life many of us we live our life for this world not for eternity we are laying up treasures on this earth not for eternity and we have to question whether we really understand the hope of his calling he has called you to something and that is why we go through all the things that we have to go through that is why we sacrifice you know when you look at our lives relative to a lot of people around us it seems that we are giving up a lot of things giving up a lot of fun giving up a lot of pleasure why what will allow us to give up those things because we understand the hope of his calling he has a he has called us god almighty he has called us because he chose us and he didn't just choose us just to give us a status he called us to a way of life and that way of life has a hope and we need to understand that hope secondly point number 2 verse 18 second part what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints understand and know the riches of the glory of his inheritance you see how it's building up we have a hope but we also have riches that are coming an inheritance the riches of the inheritance for which we are destined not riches in this world we are children of god and what heirs and joint heirs with christ everything that is god's will be ours all that god possesses and these riches are so magnificent they're too magnificent magnificent to describe with words and only a greater understanding of god can enable us to fully understand our inheritance as saints of god so as i'm going to ask yourself have you ever prayed these things for yourself what is the nature of our prayer 
Could that be why we don't see ourselves progressing towards maturity? Because we're not praying for the right things. Paul shows us here through this prayer what, is, what should be the nature of our petition to God for us and for other believers. That we may know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's number two. Number three, and what is verse 19? What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Point number three, that we may understand and know the greatness of God's power. And he goes into a little bit of detail here. Uh, he says here in verse uh, 19, um, according to the working of his mighty power, that you may, uh, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. He prays that God would give them an understanding of his, that is God's great power toward us who believe. Okay, and the word power here, the Greek word is dunamis, which comes from, the word dynamite comes from that. So you can get a sense of what he's, what he's talking about, your power. The power of dynamite. This is the power that is available to those who are the children of God. It's incomparably great and it's available to all who believe. The greatness of his power toward us who believe. The working, okay, uh, the, the, according to the working of his mighty power. The energizing force of the Holy Spirit which empowers believers to live a life that is pleasing to God. He's saying that you have got mighty power and I'm praying God that these believers, these Ephesian believers would understand the, the magnitude of the power that they have in you. Strength, dominion and power. Mighty working, the mighty power which he worked in Christ. He doesn't ask that they be given more power. He doesn't say give them power. What is he asking for? That they would have an awareness and an understanding of the power that they already possesses. And in, in chapters 4, 5 and 6 he admonishes them to use this power. So why is he talking about all this here? Because later on he's going to talk about all the problems. You know, the problems between husbands and wives and, and, uh, and masters and slaves and, and, and love among the believers and all these kind of things. And, and walking in the spirit, being filled with the spirit. And he's trying to impress upon them that what they need is to understand that they have the power to live the life, to walk worthy of the calling with which they have been called. And that realization needs to be there in our lives. The power that we have, he tells us here, Verse 20 is the same power that God used to resurrect and ascend Christ to the exalted position that he now has. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Verse 20. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Do you understand what he's telling us here? He's saying the same power that God used that he put into operation when he raised Christ and ascended him up into heaven and seated him in the heavenly places at his right hand. That same power is available to you. It is at your disposal. For what? To live for his glory. We have this power. We need to make it real. We need to appropriate it. And there is no reason for any Christian to feel insecure. There is no reason for any Christian to feel it's impossible for me. I am powerless. I can't do anything about it. Because God has given you the power. The problem is lack of understanding. 
Problem is lack of knowing who God really is. Problem is lack of understanding of who we are in Christ. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they told me that, you know, that I'm a mistake that God created. A believer. God doesn't create mistakes. And he certainly doesn't call a mistake. And he doesn't choose a mistake. He has called you to an exalted position. And he has given you the power to live the way you ought to live. That you may understand and know the greatness of God's power. The fourth thing. Verse 21. Far above all. He's talking about Christ here. That he has placed him far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is praying that they, the Ephesian believers and us, by extension, would understand and know the greatness of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to focus on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is. And what he did for us. And what God has done for him. And where he is positioned today. Focusing on him will reduce the severity of our problems. Our attentions ought to be on his purity. On his greatness. On his holiness. On his power. On his majesty. Who is our Lord? It tells us here so beautifully. He is far above all rule. And authority. And power and dominion. This is the Lord that we serve. Not only in this age, but everything in the age to come. The power that of Christ that is applied for the believer cannot be negated. It's not some small thing. It is massive. And God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And what did he do? He gave him head. He gave him as head over all things uh, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Listen to this. Verse 22. He's talking about the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is a very, very meaningful uh, statement here. What is, what, is, what, is, uh, what is Paul saying here about the Lord Jesus? He's saying that Christ has a unique and intimate relationship with the church. Why? Because the church is his body. We the church, he tells us here, we are the fullness of him. Of whom? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord must have the church to manifest his incomparable glory. It's like as if he only, he doesn't have the rest of his body when he doesn't have us. And when we are all in his presence, you know, we're going to have that marriage feast and we will be complete in him. His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is the one who fills all in all. He is everything. He is over all principalities and all power. And yet, the church is his body, the fullness of him. We are the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. But do we really understand that? Paul is praying here that they would understand these these four things. That they would understand... The, um, that, that they would understand who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ that what God has given to them he is praying that they would uh, understand and know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints that they would understand and know the hope of God's calling that they would understand and know the greatness of the power that they have in God they would understand and know the greatness 
of the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, and how we as a church fit in to who he is. All of us as believers, we possess an immense array of spiritual blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ. How should we pray? Our prayers ought to be directed to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, it ought to be based on the reality of who we are, our redemption, our salvation. It ought to be made up of thanksgiving and petition. And we should constantly thank and praise God for the things that are praiseworthy that we hear, for our faith, the faith of others in the Lord, for exhibitions of love for the saints. We need to love the saints more so that others can praise God for that love that we have. We need to understand that God has given us all that we need to live for him and to meet our daily needs. We need to pray for a greater understanding, for greater wisdom so that we might fully comprehend the blessings that we have in the Lord and we might apply them in our lives so that our many blessings and resources should lead to a more holy life for him and greater glory for God. We need to ask God for greater understanding of our true position as his children, of the great power. Why do we feel weak? Because we don't understand. We don't appropriate the power that God has given to us. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. So that we may effectively use the resources that God has given to us so that we may live a more godly life. And all of these blessings are available only to the child of God. If you're not a child of God, then you don't possess any of these. And you cannot even approach God for this wisdom. But as a child of God, this is your right to approach him and ask him. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He does it with a lot more detail, a lot more eloquence. He tells us what to ask for. He asks the same for the Ephesian believers. The wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of God's calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance for us, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. May God enable us to examine ourselves, examine our walk with him, examine our prayer life. What is it that we are praying for? Are we praying for the kind of things that will really impact our life? Not for the little, little things. Of course, we can go to God for anything. And there is a place for that. But our prayers need to be much more than just praying for the, the, the daily bread, you know. Yes, that's there too. Give us this day our daily bread. It should be more than just praying for, you know, the, the mundane things of life. It needs to be praying for greater wisdom, greater understanding of who God is. So that we can grow, so that we can understand who we are. So we can understand the power that we have in him. We can appropriate that power and make it real in dealing with the... the, the uh, the, the things we go through in life. You know, if we truly understand this, if we have this kind of understanding, you know, Christians should be the least worried people in the world. We should have no worries. If we understand the sovereignty of God, we should have no worries. I know none of us are there. But do we have less worries today than we did a year ago? Five years ago? Or are we just the same? Are we maturing in the Lord? Do we have... Are we asking him for wisdom and understanding? May God enable us to do that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, for the richness of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to examine ourselves in the light of all the words that we hear. I pray, Lord, that um, 
that these things that Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers, Lord, we want to pray the same for us, Lord. That we may truly understand who we are. We, I pray, Lord, for any here, Lord, who are going through issues in their lives of insecurity, issues of who they are, of their worth. I pray, Lord, that you will give to them, open the eyes of their understanding so they may know who they are in Christ, Lord. And on that basis, they would live their lives. I pray, Lord, that all of us would understand the power, Lord, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and ascended him into heaven. That miraculous power is ours for our day-to-day life. Remove all doubt, Father. Remove all worry and fear. Pray, Lord, that our walk would be worthy of praise and thanksgiving by others. That those who see us, Lord, would give you thanks. That we, through our lives, would cause praise and thanksgiving to rise up to heaven. We know, Lord, that we fail, we fall short, and I ask, Lord, that for your forgiveness, I pray, Lord, that we would dedicate ourselves, each of us, Lord, that each one in their hearts would examine our walk, to examine our, that whether we truly understand the hope of our calling, whether we even understand our calling, what it is that we are called to, the life that we are called to live, that we may have a greater understanding and knowledge of who you are, Lord, and that may not be just knowledge in the head, but it would be knowledge that impacts our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our deeds. That would move us towards righteousness and maturity. Thank you, Father, for this word. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to each of us, Lord, at our point of need. Commit ourselves to your hands. I commit this body of believers to your hands. I ask all these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.